0: Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. This week, what I got for you guys is an interview from coast to coast with Art Bell and Bud Hopkins. And in this, Bud Hopkins goes into his book, Sight Unseen, and talks about the invisibility factor of UFOs and the occupants during alien abductions. Now, of course, I know you'll love this episode because it's an old... Artville Coast to Coast with Bud Hopkins and it's just awesome. And this gets that information out there for some of the people who haven't heard it. I'm putting this out there because currently I'm working on the Stanford Kentucky 1976 Alien abductions, And that's going to be our next episode. I'm also trying to set up some interviews. I'm trying to get a hold of Stan Gordon. I'll probably have Preston Bennett on again if he wants to come on. And a couple other people, so that's something to watch out for. But in the meantime, while I'm working on that stuff, I hope you guys enjoy Keep kicking it. Alright, so I'm going to do something a little special here. I'm really self-conscious about it, but I want to know what you guys think. Now this isn't all of what I've written, but I want to see what you guys think of my book a little bit. Please give me your feedback. So when you hear the little chime at the end of this, I'm going to insert my audio format of the book so you can hear me reading it, and you're going to hear some mistakes in there. But please just let me know what you think. All right, let's get it. Dark Black Eyes A Look into the Alien Abduction Phenomena by T. Bond. The alien abduction phenomena is startling, enigmatic, and elusive. It has puzzled everyone who looks into it researchers, abductees, experiencers, contactees, and everyone in the mix. I do not recall when I was drawn into the alien abduction phenomena. As a child, I would watch things on TV, like unsolved mysteries, sightings, and many others. And the UFO phenomena, and extraterrestrial phenomena, never caught my attention. Although well, shows like Ancient Aliens on the History Channel and many others in 2008, my attention was drawn in. It was an odd shift. I was never interested in the phenomena before, and yet it hit me all at once and I became obsessed. I began listening to thousands of hours of podcasts, regression tapes, interviews, researchers, consuming every amount of data I possibly could. I wanted to get my hands on the phenomena and figure out what was behind it. This still remains elusive today. I began my UFO research by going over the basics. I'd listen to people's UFO experiences, some historical cases, things about crash retrievals, underground bases, and alien abductions. I was entrenched in the UFO phenomena and everything that accompanied it. Of course, there were things that I found hard to believe, but in other cases, not so much. I went over the work of Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Jacques Vallée, Dr. Carla Turner, and many others. Seemingly credible researchers. Over time appearing stories of the Phoenix Lights and the Delphos UFO case, and many other cases, multiple people witnessing the same thing, I began to realize that there was in fact something to the UFO phenomenon. Even though at this point vaguely familiar with the abduction scenario, this is where my research led me. I wanted to know what was behind the UFOs? Not simply whether they were real or not, because to me at this point it had been conclusively proven. This coupled with the abduction phenomena painted a picture for me. The question to me was what lied behind it then? What were these entities? I went over every theory that I possibly could. From demons, to soul-stealing robots, gods, djinn, time travelers, interdimensional beings, and of course, extraterrestrials. But every opinion I made, or new theory I moved to, evolving over time, I would find evidence supporting it, and then evidence against it. And then I found a podcast specifically about alien abductions. Along with that, I fell into the faded disc tape. Historical tapes that go over the history of ufology. With the original regression tapes of Betty and Barney Hill, old tapes of policemen witnessing UFOs, Pascagoula abductions, interviews with Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and many others. But I chose... To start with the Betty and Barney Hill regression tapes, I tore them apart. I listened to them multiple times, eating up every detail I possibly could, becoming fascinated with their story. I realized by listening to both of their tapes that they 100% believed what had happened to them. I had listened to Dr. Benjamin Simon on the Betty and Barney Hill case and how he believed that Betty Hill had influenced Barney Hill through her dream by telling him about them. But when one looks into the case you find not that they are the exact same but in fact that they are more akin to being parallel. Barney Hill had his own separate encounters that parallel what happens with modern alien abductions. I had heard the argument that the Twilight Zone with Hocus Pocus and Frisbee and that the Outer Limits had had an influence on Betty and Barney Hill. I simply did not find this conclusive enough of evidence, especially later on in my research. I believe the answer lies with those who have had the contact experience those who have had the direct experience with these abductors are the ones who hold the key seeing the abductors and experiencing how they are what their attitudes are like what the inside of their UFOs are like what goes on around them what perceptions they have what the aftermath is affecting their lives. It is of no surprise to anyone that the experiencers face ridicule, they wrestle with their own sanity, they're called liars and hoaxers, all for the sake of a book they won't make much money on, or a movie that
1: may not even be produced.
2: and Bud Hopkins. Bud, welcome to the program.
1: Glad to be with you, Hart.
2: Back to the program, I guess. We've been interviewing now for uh, years and years, haven't we?
1: Oh, it goes way back. I've been uh, doing this kind of work for 28 years now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 28 years. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm i sure you heard me describe uh, a moment ago last night's guest. It was really pretty intriguing. He He made a case, Bud, that We're the only ones, and if there is life discovered on Mars—fact which NASA is apparently about ready to uh, announce—it came from here, and that we're really the only intelligent life in the whole universe.
1: Well, see, to me, that that has to be a theory like that. When it is, of course, a theory, has to be an article of intense personal belief. Yes, because there is no, there's no way that one can make that kind of statement about this vast universe, that there's nothing else out there uh actually the uh, uh certainly the average scientist today would say not only is is it possible that life exists elsewhere and we can 't say anything but that actually, but I think the average scientist would say it's probable that life uh exists elsewhere and therefore that an intelligent life if uh exists elsewhere too it's just absurd to think. The opposite.
2: Well, he readily admitted his ideas were controversy, very controversial today. But that is sincerely what he thought, and and you're right, he had that as an article of faith. It's by, an article
1: of faith. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And yeah. and of course, I know that there are uh, are probably many very very conservative uh, religious groups hither and yon around this planet of ours uh, who would have that belief based on uh... their own particular interpretations of whatever scriptures they follow but uh... i mean to to make that statement that we know about the rest of the universe and there's nothing there uh... in terms of intelligent life or even lower life forms.
2: well he readily admitted that it would be quite a severe shock to his system and so then you go back to this whole brookings uh... thing and indeed you know the scientists the ones who have their careers and we talked a little bit about careers depending on uh, uh, things panning out a certain way for scientists, and when they don't, they put them up on the shelf, you know, that uh, this is an important item for him. He'd be really shaken, and so I think a lot of scientists would be shaken, uh, Bud, if there was contact.
1: Well, uh, it's a very interesting thing. Over the years, I had uh, some uh, rather complex dealings with the late Carl Sagan, and of course, despite (coughs) his... uh, uh, Refusal to really entertain the possibility that, that the UFO phenomenon uh, was really something that was absolutely real that involved uh, uh, craft of some sort, extraterrestrial intelligence, and so on, even though he, he would not accept that, at least on the surface, uh, he was an absolute believer in the existence of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. Yes. As are most scientists who might look uh, skeptically on the UFO phenomenon.
2: Now, Bud, were you privileged to uh, speak with Carl toward the end of his life? The rumor out there is that toward the end, Carl was beginning to perhaps change his views a little bit.
1: Well, uh, I I think that the trajectory of his uh, attitude here is very strange. He started off, and I remember uh, the very first time I heard of him, was um, when he started off on, I believe, the uh, Johnny Carson's program or something like that on television, talking about the idea that he thought thought there was evidence uh, based in uh, his uh, examination of ancient artifacts and uh, uh, cave drawings and uh, material from uh, primitive cultures and so on that that mankind had been visited by intelligent uh, life at some previous time, some ancient time. That's the way he made his uh, his national reputation, with that claim. Uh, and, of course, at one point he was, um, as a very young man, uh, as a major uh, astronomer, uh, astrophysicist, he was very much connected with uh, other uh, scientists who were looking into the whole thing, including uh, uh, eventually Alan Hynek, but... Uh, people along the way, and then it seemed that at some point he got his resistance to the UFO phenomenon stiffened, even though at one time, as I said, he thought it should be looked into. Exactly. And uh, so I don't know what what position he had at the end. It was very interesting to me that uh, once when we did a television program together, um, he he was arguing on his segment of the program against the possibility of, uh, that the UFO phenomenon had behind it any kind of sense of an extraterrestrial uh, intelligence operating mm-hmm. these craft, that mm-hmm. there was anything real to it. And um, <clears throat> when I got in the program, I, my point was that uh, the material that we have from, you know, the, the old story, from pilots, uh, astronauts, uh, people around the world, military people and everything else, about the reality of the UFO phenomenon itself, the craft. Uh, I said that undoubtedly constitutes an extraordinary phenomenon. And so does, of course, all reports uh, of uh, abductions with the similarity of the cases from t- uh, point to point around the world, the physical uh, Uh, sequelae, the things that follow, the injuries, and so forth. All of this together, I said, Carl, doesn't that constitute an extraordinary phenomenon? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, it it does. And I said, well, then what we should be saying here, I believe, is that an extraordinary phenomenon demands an extraordinary investigation. (laughs) And I said, we should be investigating this. And I said, you should be doing it, not me.
2: Yes. Uh, Well, you know, perhaps, uh, but he met up with some, you know, I mean, he was a quickly, a very quick rising star, and he may have met up with some rather impressive mainstream uh, uh, influence that um, during the middle of his life, uh, the successful part of it prohibited him from uh, going out on that limb.
1: I I think you're absolutely right with that, Art, and when you realize that, of course, uh, any scientist in his position uh, really is extremely dependent upon um, the government's handouts, so to speak, in mm-hmm. terms of, of having your uh, scientific projects um, accepted and funded by the government. Yes. Uh, and you're, uh, in a certain sense, also beholden to your colleagues who uh, are controlling the future of your uh, professorship and and the laboratory access that you have and so forth, that uh, it, it must have dawned on him at some point that uh, taking any kind of a firmer stand was probably not going to be helpful in the long run. But I, I, my feeling with, about him, and, and we exchanged letters, and, and uh, it, it was a, a kind of a complex, interesting relationship. My sense always was that he was extremely uneasy about the subject. This was not a man who, um, in any kind of intimate uh, connection that uh, one might have with him, um,
2: uneasy. That's an interesting assessment. That's an interesting word. Why un- uneasy in in what in the sense that he couldn't say what he thought probably was true?
1: Yes, I, that's exactly what I mean. My my feeling was that whether or not uh, he. Uh, to take it to one extreme, had viewed the bodies and kicked the wreckage and kicked the tires on them and so forth, uh, all the way down to uh, the other end, which is that he had heard enough from some colleagues who were privy to uh, such uh, absolute and specific information, which uh, wherever he fell along that line, I think that he was certainly aware of enough uh, to uh, know that his position was uh, his public position of opposing this was perhaps uh, way over the top.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and, of course, looking at watching the astronauts is also an interesting exercise, sort of a story to be told there. Some of them act very strangely on this topic indeed. Well, anyway, uh, you've had so many years of research, and you've got a brand-new book, right, called Sight Unseen?
1: That's right, Sight Unseen. It's my fourth book. Uh, I'm not a very prolific writer in... Uh, in the uh, 28 years I've been doing this kind of research, I've managed to to write four books. So uh, seven year gaps between are not very suggestive of somebody who was a prolific writer.
2: No. Uh, so, in other words, you must wait until you really uh, feel like you've got a couple of aces in your hand before you start out. In other words, you must really what what motivates you to finally sit down and start working.
1: Well, uh, actually, it's an <clears throat> it's a nice uh, image. Uh, to use, my basic point has always been this that it, I would never uh, present another book or, or sit down and put one together unless I had new material that um, suggested an aspect of the patterns of abductions. In other words, an across the board uh, dimension to the abduction phenomenon that we really were not familiar with before. Uh, so each book was adding not just new case material or anything of that sort, but uh, new aspects of the phenomenon, of the pattern that uh, needed to be presented. For example, uh, when I uh, wrote Intruders uh, and presented that material in 1987, a long time ago, that was the first time that we had, um, that any of us had, had dealt with the idea that the UFO abduction phenomenon had at its center, really, the uh, taking of um, of sperm samples, ova samples, and just uh, skin samples and so forth to um, use DNA, um, actually to get this material as raw material for DNA experimentation in a basic attempt to create a mix, a hybrid mix of uh, human and alien characteristics to create some kind of new... Um, semi-alien, semi-human species. You are
2: convinced now that is the central motivation for abductions?
1: Yeah, I feel that that, that's the uh, one thing that we can say is the constant, uh, even though there are are many other aspects of the the phenomena turn up in individual cases, but that is the constant. And, of course, what that explained immediately was why uh, the UFO abduction phenomenon was taking place uh, within families across bloodlines and that the same individuals were being abducted again and again as if there was a particular study going on of the genetic makeup of a, of a particular uh, set of individuals.
2: Okay, I, I'd like to run this by you, uh, Bud. Uh, it, it was in the last couple of months or so. I think Whitley had been on here and described what amounted to a sort of a sexual experience uh, or, or I guess an experience was sexual content and you know I, I, I sort of proffered it on the air and I said you know I'm curious how many of you in abduction experiences have had um, some sort of sexual encounter and oh my god bud it was like the doors opened up and I had thousands and thousands of emails and I went what am I going to do about this? I mean, yeah. here's a subject that's not very much discussed, right. and I just stumbled into something, and I don't know how I'm going to talk about this on the air.
1: Well, you know, uh, the, the basic way, of course, that we know we're dealing with a, uh, uh, a, a kind of alien program, one might call it, rather than just a, a simple collection of individual stories from people, that don't collectively add up to anything, is when you see that there are these um, recurring themes that turn up again and again and again. And this is, this is exactly what I mean about uh, approaching these things from the point of view of finding patterns. And one of the things that I, I discovered, for example, uh, when I was dealing with uh, the fact that there is this um, reproductive focus the ufo phenomenon yes and this is something we go into uh, at length in the book which i'll talk about in a bit but um... when i discovered that i also noticed when i went th- over the accounts that the people were giving me of of what had happened to them during abductions is that there were certain things that never came up in other words we had what you might call a negative pattern hmm. an example here is that uh... for every one of us when we go to the doctor um, we have uh, uh, for our checkups and so forth. We, The doctor pulls out a stethoscope, and uh, our blood count is taken, and people look into cholesterol, and uh, certainly the uh, cardiovascular system is central to everybody's concern when they go to their doctor. Sure. The heart is a big deal to us and the state of our arteries, and yet I have no cases where people... Uh, in abduction experiences, are reporting anything being done to their heart, any interest in the cardiovascular system at all. Now, if you're, if you're dealing with thousands and thousands of reports and something that should turn up, if this is fantasy, never turns up, ever, 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 right. and yet something like this interest in the reproductive system and the central nervous system, which always comes up, uh, that sh- has got to tell you there's some kind of distinct pattern here to these reports.
2: It does. It does. Um, it, of course, what the actual final motivation is, I'm, I'm not so clear on that. Uh, the fact that it's reproductively oriented, that's beyond question. I, I, I mean, if you saw the thousands of replies I got, I, I, I was overwhelmed. I just said, you know what? Some serious researcher, just like you, bud, is going to have to take this over because there's no way I can handle this on the air. As much as we do stuff like this on the air, there's just no way. And so it's a big one, bud. it's really a big one. I I don't know though if the final motivation is a sort of a genetically modified species. You believe that to be true, huh? I I well
1: I I believe that that of course is is the goal of the thing, but what that uh, function is going to be eventually of that particular uh... modified um, mix of human and alien characteristics what those individuals are supposed to end up doing where they're going to live right. and so forth that we do not know in other words we don't have any of the big 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 answers
2: do we like, know to this, whose benefit this is
1: that's right we don't know that uh... It, uh we have no reason More to definitely. see right now um... you know the two ends of this we don't have any reason to see this as uh... We are going to be taken over or conquered and so forth by these uh, transgenic beings, and that's the better term rather than the hybrid. That's uh, the term we use in the book. That uh, there are genetic splicings and engineerings going on here, which are uh, quite different than uh, the, the old-fashioned system of um, taking um, sexual cells from two different species and trying to create a hybrid, as a mule is created. Hmm. Um, but w- these these beings, we don't. Uh, now, whether they're going to, uh, uh, on one end, come down and take over and uh, run things, and that's the end of us.
2: Let's uh, get down to some cases. I mean, you put some pretty radical case material in in the book. Can you preview some?
1: Well, uh, absolutely. Uh, the the basic uh, title reason for the title of the book, Sight Unseen, is the uh, the unseen part of the title has to do with the fact that. Uh, One feature to the UFO abduction phenomenon, which uh, many of us have have, uh, accepted and understood for a long time but have been reluctant to make public because it seems so outrageous, is the fact that when abductions take place, in some way the abduction is rendered invisible, unseeable. In other words, an abduction could can take place actually in the middle of uh, uh, New York City in the daytime. And I have many such cases. Uh, In Paris, London, uh, Istanbul, around the world, abductions uh, cases have occurred that I have looked into where people are taken, and the following uh, does not happen. The UFO is not seen. That is hovering, let's say, next to the building of the skyscraper, or so on, where the people are taken. Uh, the individual aliens who are transported down a beam of light and into the place, or the car, or the automobile, or the street, wherever where the person is taken, they are invisible at that moment, and so are the human beings who are taken, the abductees. In other words, in some way, everything can be veiled and rendered unseeable, and that's in the daytime, at night, it doesn't make any difference where it is. Um, There is a a technology of invisibility, which is, uh, on the face of it, it seems totally off the wall and outrageous. Oh, I'm not
2: so sure about that. Any um, alien race that could get here, for whatever their motivations would happen to be, would be sufficiently advanced to be, I'm sure, invisible to us, if that's what they wished, on On the one hand, you could say that, but on the other hand, you could also say, well, it, it's easy to say it's invisible, uh, then how do we know it's real?
1: Well, this is the, of course, that, that's an extremely important point. Um, the, the thing about the technology, of course, you're absolutely right, that if they can get here from there, wherever there is, um, <clears throat> then it would certainly seem that we don't want to limit their te- technological abilities. Uh, by looking at our own and saying, well, we can't do that. Uh, they can. However, one of the themes of our book, and it's very central, is the fact that earthly technology is beginning to approach uh, alien technology mm-hmm. in many different areas, including uh, experiments that are going on right now that the uh, government is carrying out with the idea of invisibility, uh, and that's a long, complex uh, area in the book that uh, my wife, Carol Rainey, my co-author, has gone into.
2: You're saying that our government is now working on invisibility.
1: Absolutely. And uh, oh. it, it may, now, my point, of course, Art, is that the way uh, science is approaching this issue to, to veil something, to make it unseeable, etc., uh, might be entirely different than anything the aliens are able to do, that their technology might be uh, have approached the problem along um, completely different lines. But the fact is that uh, what our book is trying to, to do is to take the para out of paranormal, really, mm-hmm. and to show that the, dis- the distance between uh, what seemed to be magical technology on the aliens' part and our own technology, that distance is shrinking. Uh, now, in terms of whether an abduction is real if it can't be seen, of course, is another story. Uh, abductions have to be examined in terms of the, their reality, the, the physical things that occur, the marks that are left on people, etc.
2: Well, down we, down to cases, but without, without naming names, okay. uh, can you give me an example of a case where... Uh, for example, it was unseen, but there remained some physical evidence that we could, you know.
1: Okay. Well, uh, one of the cases I go into occurred in 1948, and of course, uh, as as uh, we know, the abduction phenomenon did not really uh, become ma- uh, a public issue or known really uh, anywhere around the world in any great depth until the Betty and Barney Hill case came to light in 1966. Right. It occurred in 61. But we're talking now 48. This is uh, one year after Roswell. And in that particular case, uh, the the woman I was dealing with was a a very young child at the time, and she and her uh, brother were put down for naps in their... A bedroom in the middle of the afternoon in Cincinnati, Ohio, by their mother, who I've had been able to interview upon several occasions too. Mm-hmm. And uh, what <clears throat> uh, the mother and, and everyone recalled consciously. And I should point out, incidentally, that the uh, central figure in this case, the woman, um, uh, who I have given them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, assumed name to, uh, has had many, many abduction experiences the rest of her life, all kinds of issues. Uh, This is one that she didn't bring up to me at first because she she didn't know what to make of it and she couldn't remember the content of the abduction uh, consciously. But what she did remember uh, consciously, and her mother well-remembered, is that the mother put them to bed uh, in their little bedroom on the second floor of a building, really in the suburbs of of, uh, Cincinnati. The next thing the mother uh, knew was that somebody came tearing up the stairs saying that the children were outside uh, on the ground at the basement of the cellar, uh, the cellar steps, uh, her children, both of them, and uh, that they must have fallen out the window. Uh, The mother went... uh, panic went tearing downstairs, and uh, the uh, this, uh, central figure remembered that she sort of woke up and she couldn't move. She was lying on top of her brother at the foot of these basement steps, which incidentally were not underneath the, any of the windows from the right. bedroom. Right. Uh, they had no memory of falling. They were both paralyzed and unable to speak. Uh, they were rushed to the hospital by a totally panicked mother. And uh, examined, and though they had fallen in effect because of the basement uh, steps where they were found on cement, they had fallen three stories. There was not a mark on either one of them, uh-huh. nothing no, nothing that had done any kind of damage, and yet they both remembered consciously uh, going floating out the window and some kind of huge shadow over the house uh, and they couldn 't remember exactly what happened consciously but the point is that the doctor uh, and everyone else, of course, involved said, there's no possible way these children could have fallen three stories onto cement, uh, which would have meant they would have had to have fallen at a diagonal instead of straight down. Yes. Um, uh, without, you know, actually this very serious possibility that they would have been absolutely killed. They could not have survived, let alone yeah. not have a mark on them. Uh, under hypnosis, uh, the entire experience came up uh... the woman described uh, their being floated out the window she and her little brother and lifted up into the craft and then when the experience was over they were put down at this basement steps uh... and the brother remembers floating out the window he doesn't remember he, he does not want to undergo hypnosis etc but anyway the basic point of all this is that it's there's a great deal of material about this in the book the point is that this happened In broad daylight, in the middle of a suburban area with stores and and buildings and everything around, nobody saw a UFO. Nobody saw children come out a window floating or falling or otherwise. Nobody heard any screams. There was no energy, uh, no uh, uh, kind of injury to any of the people involved. Uh, And that's the kind of case which implies invisibility, and yet we have cases we deal with in the book where it becomes a much more tangible thing, for instance.
2: Okay, we'll get to that in a second. I'm curious, uh, that was a long time ago. Has there been any follow-up with these children since then?
1: Well, uh, of course, I've been working with the mother uh, who is now in her 50s, Mm -hmm. and she has a child, uh, two children actually, who are uh, seemingly having abduction experiences uh, from time to time as if they are Hmm. part of this ongoing uh, kind of a study of a particular bloodline. The brother, uh, who is now a man in his uh, late 50s, does not want to look into this and is still um, suffering from a great deal of fear connected with uh, his memory of that time of being paralyzed. When they were picked up and taken to the hospital, uh, Rushed to the hospital, uh, they only regained the ability to move and speak uh, over a, a period of uh, between a half an hour and an hour. And again, there was no physical mark on them, there, no explanation of why they could not speak and why their bodies were paralyzed.
2: That's remarkable.
1: So, but uh, this is just another case of um, uh, something much more tangible. A woman uh, who was given her name, Katharina Wilson. Uh, who I've worked with before and has actually written finally about her experiences. She's a very, very uh, solid, intelligent uh, woman with a great deal of personal integrity. Um, had the experience of getting off a plane in Chicago at O'Hare Airport, uh, walking uh, and, uh, into the ladies' room, and when she and feeling very, very strange at the airport, she just got off the plane and went to the ladies' room and then walked over to the sink. She put soap on her hands and when she put her hands under the faucet, the sensors did not turn on, did not work and the water did not come on to make her uh, rinse her hands away. She went to the next sink and the next sink and the next sink and could not get anything to register her and finally uh, there was a woman who stepped away the water was still running. She plunged her hands under there and Still, nothing happened. Uh, she had to go to a, a little stall where there was a, uh, a tap. She could work with her own hand. Now, she could see herself. She had no problem with that. But she became aware that nobody could see her. Oh. And that she was not registering on the faucets. And the next thing she knew was, without understanding how she got there, really, uh, she was approaching the um, uh, the. Baggage return area, where she was to be met by uh, two friends, yes. who described her as suddenly just popping into existence, as oh. popping up, and all the luggage had uh, been taken but hers, and she realized that there was something like an hour and a quarter or what, uh, or, or thereabouts, of missing time. Missing. Now this meant <laughs> she the the, the two uh, witnesses who said she just popped into existence. Um, one of them. Uh, I interviewed at great length, and she said it was as if she just suddenly in this room popped into reality and uh, had been invisible a moment before, and it was a terrifying thing to all of them. Uh, Nobody knew what to do or say, uh, but uh, I have other cases of this sort of thing happening, too. So
2: so the implication of this is that uh, you said there was an hour of missing time, so the implication is that the process of an abduction includes perhaps invisibility as a precursor to, uh, to the abduction and then, and then something that lingers perhaps a little while following the abduction. In this
1: case, it seems to be something that can be switched on and off. <clears throat> and if their uh, problem is that somebody's being abducted from the busiest airport in the United States, O'Hare, uh, and has to be returned to another part of the airport, the uh, baggage return area, uh, that perhaps there is a lingering um, uh, a period of where the invisibility state That's is maintained past the uh, the technical needs of the abduction itself. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Do do you have uh, similar reports from others of of invisibility um, of what seemingly spontaneous invisibility?
1: Right. Uh, I I go into six six cases totally in the book. Um, in order to establish this as a pattern, uh, another took place uh, with two airmen. Uh, it's a very interesting case uh, who were at an air force base, and their uh, their job was uh, to man a um, a first response fire truck uh that went out at night onto the uh, tarmac <clears throat> where the student pilots were practicing landings and takeoffs mm-hmm. and of course uh even though fire trucks at airports thank god don't get much business uh in terms of accidents uh, at, a, at an airbase with trainees I'm sure that's quite different because uh landing and taking off can be a little difficult yes <laughs> for somebody who's just learning so there there was a serious business so they were parked there and they did they set up their truck the way they're supposed to, uh, putting their, their asbestos gear, their uh, fireproof gear and so forth, out so they can get into it in a second and so on. And uh, what they both remember is a waking up, sort of coming to and feeling extremely sick and thinking what what's just happened with no memory of what it was that had just happened. Their gear had been disturbed, had been sort of knocked around, and they realized that it was extremely late, and they were uh, past the time they were supposed to report back to, their, to the base. They had no idea what happened. Uh, one of them became violently ill and was vomiting. <laughs> uh, they were extremely frightened, and they realized their clothes were... Um, rather disorganized, and when they went back uh, and checked in uh, and walked into the, uh, uh, the barracks where they were staying, uh, still feeling extremely wobbly and con- totally confused, somebody noticed that they were wearing each other's shirts. Their name tags were the wrong name tags. Uh-huh. The shirts had been buttoned wrong and put on the wrong people, um uh, they had no idea what had happened; They knew something had gone very, very radically wrong now the, the point about all this, of course, is uh the abduction uh, uh, material exactly what occurred uh turned up when I did hypnosis with with one of these young men. but this is the important thing. they were in full view of of this airbase they were right out there on the runway near the uh, control tower, this abduction where the craft came down over their truck, they were lifted up, a beam of light taken in the truck. No one could see it, apparently, at an air base where there were all kinds of people standing around with binoculars and so on uh, and radar uh, equipment and so on watching the very area where they were, which was near where the planes were landing and taking off. So we have another case where uh, invisibility seems to be the only explanation for how this thing could have taken place.
2: Sure. That's uh, that's a new take on all this. I hadn't even considered this invisibility business. Um, fast, well, I, I tell
1: you, I, when I deal with abductions that have occurred in, in Tokyo, uh, I mean, these are cases I really looked into, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Chicago, you know, Los Angeles, uh, um, Istanbul, uh, I, around the world, Paris, London, uh, these could not have taken place without... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people having seen the, uh, uh, at least the craft, the people floating up. We have no reports of people floating up a beam of light. The only exception, of course, uh, where something has been seen was the case that I wrote about a witness. And, witnessed. and th- that was a case where the UFO occupants were deliberately showing off what they could do. And in fact, we have all kinds of witnesses to this. Uh, I have new witnesses, and I'm going to be writing a, uh, uh, a new edition of the book to bring it up to date with all the new witnesses. When that just was a, uh, you might call it a kind of a control experiment, it shows how many people would have seen something, even though it happened at 3 a.m. and took a very, very short time. It was in New York City, and we do have a lot of people who saw it. So uh, th- that's, that's all the more reason for us to know, to understand why uh, it's it, uh, virtually miraculous that no one has ever seen any other abduction take place from a distance like this in a big city.
2: So New York is the sole case you know of? Uh, the only one. The only one. I would certainly be interested, uh, you know, in any accounts out there of a parent. I say apparent, um, a spontaneous invisibility, because you might well, of course, not know then that it is attached to period of time that you might be missing. Not everybody notices uh, the fact they've had missing time. Bud, welcome back. Glad to be back. Um, And in fact, is that true? In in other words, uh, somebody might sort of I don't know, stumble into this seemingly uh, you you know, this strange invisibility thing and and sort of dismiss it and not even think about the missing time and understand that they have been abducted.
1: Well, aren't my actual... (laughs) feelings are that, uh, the cases that we have heard about that get reported, uh, of course you, you got a huge number of reports, as you described, uh, uh having to do with the sexual issue, but, uh, the reports that we get over the years, I think is, are really just the tiny tip of the iceberg, what actually goes on. People, um, have an, an incredible ability to somehow explain away, uh, absolutely bizarre experiences that they've had. Uh, they may not remember uh, fully the details of the event. They may uh, remember perhaps the beginning of something or the end of it, but they don't remember what happened. And therefore, I think that what we hear about is only a tiny percentage. I, I want to give you one one example, too, of this invisibility issue.
2: Please. Uh,
1: this is a man that I, I, I uh, have worked with recently, um, And uh, what he remembered consciously, and this is, it took him years and years, he's now in his 40s, before he began to connect a whole series of events to the UFO abduction phenomenon. He just didn't know why he was having these weird experiences. Uh, He's a Brit, he lives in uh, the suburbs of London. But when he was 16, he went to uh, a friend's house where he'd never been before, another part of London, a uh, fellow he'd met uh, at a job, summer job they had. He was 16, as I say, they were young men. Um, he went there for uh, a party. Uh, they were going to watch a uh, David Bowie um, television program. They were all David Bowie fans, and so he met his his uh, coworkers, other friends, other boys who came over there. Uh, and uh, ultimately, when it got late, uh, he spent the night there at his friend's. Uh, place, his boy's family was away, took off all his clothes, got in bed, went to sleep. And when he woke up, uh, he felt very strange, but the room didn't look right. It didn't mm-hmm. look like the way he remembered it from the night before. Right. And he saw a stairway in his room, which wasn't there before, uh, stumbled around, could not find any of his clothes, wrapped himself up in a bedspread, not knowing what was happening, went up the stairs and found himself in a strange kitchen someone's house. A <laughs> woman screamed and yelled, what are you doing here? I'm and sure. he said, well, I'm, John asked me to spend the night. And she said, John who?
2: <laughs> and
1: it turned out he was in a different house. Uh, and yet, as it turned out, it was the house of one of the boys who had been at the party the night before. And that boy said, what are you doing here in the house? How did you get in? And he said, I have no idea. And he said, where are your clothes? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it turns out that this house is, again, a house he had never visited in his life. It was three miles away from the house where he had gone to bed and where his clothes still were. And uh, nobody had any idea what, this, uh, what what happened, how he managed in, in uh, the dead of winter to somehow get from one house stark naked of Three miles to another house where he'd never been before. This case, so way of finding that.
2: house. How did this case make it to you? Uh,
1: well, he he had a number of other experiences later on, uh-huh. which um, suggested to him. Finally, uh, this was about uh, three years ago that he had had uh, that they may be connected with the abduction phenomenon because he remembered some more specific details of some of these later experiences.
2: uh, Well, a pathetically small number of rapes are ever reported to the police is my understanding, uh, Bud. So imagine how few people would be inclined, you know, to go to the police or authorities and say, look, um, I was abducted and raped by aliens or something like that. Uh, Not not a lot of those are going to get reported. Plus, you know, if you don't remember, Bud, the, the, the human brain tries to make sense of what it simply can't process. You know, exactly. it, it has well, no reference.
1: Well, this young man uh, said that his friends uh, who sort of uh, stopped seeing him at the time because they thought he must be weird yeah. began referring to him as the, uh, as the, uh, the streaker. You know, the winter <laughs> streaker who <laughs> streaked yeah. three miles stark naked across London. Uh, at any rate, when, when we looked into the the case, out came a classic abduction experience, and he has physical marks. In other words, the, the, there's the whole range of evidence suggesting that the, these were real experiences. But we have no way to explain it if they weren't abductions. How the heck did this happen? But again, this, this uh, uh, suggests the... Uh, role that a certain invisib- uh, invisibility technology plays mm-hmm. in the success that the aliens have in carrying off these experiences in big cities uh, all around the world uh, at will.
2: One of the questions you had written down here, are there circles of power who already know about this invisibility technology and are suppressing it? That's very interesting. Well, now, Now, now uh, Bud, yes. they're working on airplanes that you cannot see from the ground. You hear them, you look up, and they reflect essentially... The sky, and so it would, they appear to be invisible, uh, you know, invisible. But are we talking here about the invisibility of things and people that our government might be working on?
1: Well, uh, at least uh, there, there are various different ways in which invisibility seems to be uh, um, approached uh, by different laboratories in different ways. And this is the area that my wife has taken up to write about in the book. She's been handling the science areas here. But just to give an example, uh, there are certain conditions where a plasma, uh, if it surrounds uh, an object, can somehow uh, deflect the light rays around it so that the plasma can actually shield the solid object that's within it. Plasma. The the thing you were describing about making an airplane uh, invisible, an object, this is something that uh, the uh, military technology is is busy uh, pursuing, and that is that if you have, for instance, on a plane um, or or a tank or something, um, screens which are, in effect, tiny TV screens all over the surface of it. Right. And at the same time, uh, there are cameras behind the object, on the other side of it, photographing what's behind it. Yes. And they carry the image around to the screens on the front of the object. Right. One would be looking at this object and not see anything except what's behind it.
2: Correct. So you um, would... But 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 the kind of invisibility that that's one kind. But that's we're talking one kind. about something. Well, we
1: don't really know, you see, uh, exactly what the type is that the UFO occupants are uh, able to. Uh, uh, carry out and, first time I've all heard... kinds of theories but, yeah. the, but
2: first the fourth... first time I've heard the word plasma associated with it so uh, okay. a plasma would reflect uh, or uh, bends the light or takes light around it, it
1: deflects the light waves yes it can under certain controlled conditions and uh-huh. these are experiments now th- now uh, what, one of the things I want to point out about the way in which uh Our technology is getting closer to the aliens, which is very interesting. When um, Betty Hill was abducted, low these many years ago, 1961, uh, this needle was inserted in her navel. It was very painful, a very big needle, and she was told by the aliens this was a pregnancy test. Well, of course, uh, everyone said, uh, the skeptics said, oh, this is just a fantasy. It's a phallic symbol, some kind of weird masochistic sexual uh, the fantasy she had, etc., because there's nothing about going in the navel that has to do with pregnancy. And, of course, a few years later, laparoscopy was developed, and uh, a, a basic procedure, uh, as of course used very frequently to test the viability of the fetus by uh, inserting a long needle into the navel so as not to make a mark, a hole, and uh, amniotic fluid could be um, recovered, and the status of the fetus can be studied that way. Mm. Um, now it makes perfect sense that what the aliens were doing, even though it wasn't exactly a pregnancy test, but one could call it a test of pregnancy, or a removal of um, uh, an ovo-retrieval procedure, something of that sort. Uh, but... At any rate, the uh, the aliens were doing something that didn't that was being reported by abductees. It didn't seem to make any sense until our own science moved up to a position which uh, which which did make sense of it. Another thing,
2: but that 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 would indicate that uh, our scientific progress, as you point out, is beginning to approach or not that far behind uh, theirs, or we're we're beginning to approach uh, something that would begin to reveal them perhaps to us.
1: That's what it would seem like. And, and uh, uh, as our science develops, and, of course, it's developing with an incredible rate. Uh, now, a, a second thing is, of course, that many abductees, many, and Linda Cortillo wrote about in uh, Witnesses, just one of many, have described that when they were on the table in the examination area of this UFO, their arm was lifted up, and a kind of a blunt uh semi-knife-like instruments scraped uh, across the skin, uh, flaking off, of course, skin samples, Mm -hmm. uh, which were collected by the aliens. And this has been reported by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of abductees. And, of course, we didn't know what that was for, except that now, uh, very frequently, when we're doing experiments, uh, genetic experiments, uh, one of the basic techniques used is to take skin samples by scraping across the forearm and flaking off layers of skin, which, of course, is not intrusive or damaging in any way. And so we're doing something now that uh, makes sense to us, of course, in terms of our own science, but it was being reported by abductees at a time that it didn't make any sense uh, to anybody. Hmm. So the, these sorts of things, these connections between uh, scientific developments of our own, um, either because uh, it's just a natural way our science develops or whether or not there is some particular uh, uh, impetus being given to that area of science by uh, UFO abduction reports or descriptions. We don't really know. But uh, but the, the distance between alien science and human science is shrinking.
2: But most of the, uh, or I guess the majority of the subjects that are willing to undergo hypnosis uh, probably do, or you request them to. Is that is that effect? Is that true? Well,
1: if, if they they have to want to do it, right? Of right, but, but if, assuming if they don't really want to do it, nothing happens.
2: Uh, right, of course, but but assuming they volunteer, yeah, uh, then you do take advantage of. Be- right. Uh, so I, I'd like to understand a couple of basic things uh, about hypnosis as you know them. Um, how really effective I- is hypnosis? I, I mean, it, for example. Um, is it true or not that uh, a person under hypnosis would always be telling you the truth, or is is that incorrect?
1: Well, uh, that is a complex question. The, uh, let let's start with the situation that the person has a period of missing time uh, right. about which they're they're certain. In other words, to go back to the case of the young man in sure. England, sure, sure, uh, something happened. He went to bed in one place. And he woke up in another place. Right. And he woke up, you know, six, seven, eight hours later. How? What happened in, in all of that time? How did he get from yes. one place to another? I mean, you start with the existence of a gap, of a mystery, of a problem. So we know that there's something that has to be uh, recovered. Some kind of memory has to be recovered uh, because he has some idea where he, how he got from one place to another. So you're you're starting with something that uh, is a, uh, a fixed, viable um, period of time that has to be um, re- really understood as to where he went. Now, in terms of a person's perceptions under hypnosis, it isn't that the person is a truth machine, but the person is reporting his or her perceptions of what's going on uh, at the time. Now, those perceptions might be, uh, just to give an example, under hypnosis, a person who is nearsighted, Who uh, uh, goes to bed, uh, let's say this abduction takes place at night during sleep, uh, uh, and he's awakened and taken out, or she uh, goes to bed without their glasses on, Mm -hmm. and uh, they're in a ship, they're not going to be describing anything that they couldn't, that they would have had trouble seeing. Uh, with any kind of clarity. In other words, they'll say things are hazy off in the distance there, but I can see these figures standing close to me or something of that sort. Uh, It's not any kind of magic uh, trip into some sort of uh, way of of perceiving things. Can
2: you explain what about hypnosis allows people to remember things that they otherwise...
1: Well, uh, actually, I don't think anybody really understands how it works because what seems to happen here with the UFO abduction phenomenon, is that a kind of artificial block has been mm, placed right. over the events uh, of the abduction itself. Now, that block is far from uh, complete and absolute.
2: Only at the conscious level.
1: Yeah. Many people, yes, exactly, but many people remember, despite what seems to have been an attempt of the aliens to make them not remember what happened, they remember a huge amount of what's happened. I've I've uh, worked with... Uh, uh, people who have remembered every damn detail of what occurred from the beginning to the end of the experience Any what reason you can
2: used? account is there any way you can account for why one individual remembers while another cannot in other words the no. block is effective on one and not another?
1: We have no we have no way of measuring that we don't know or do
2: you think the block is simply not put on some
1: uh, that that may be the case, but we suspect that uh, uh, since the the goal has seemed to have been to keep the whole phenomenon a covert all the way along especially if it's happening again and again to the same people and to their children uh, uh the covert um, uh goal seems to be there but we don't know why it doesn't seem to t- to hold uh, to to take hold of, of everybody in right. the same way and what's very interesting about this is that after an abduction let's supposing there are uh, two people in a car and what they remember consciously is the car stopping and then they remember and they remember uh, somehow the car starts up again and they're they're in another location and things are very confused this is uh, one of the cases I dealt with and uh, interestingly when uh, the woman got home after this was over and there was a 2 hour time lapse she found that her earrings were both uh, on backwards in other words the uh, huh. little stud was on the outside <laughs> held it in place as if the aliens don't quite understand jewelry. I was
2: going to say, we're not dealing with fully competent abductors here in <laughs> every right. case, are we? I mean, they dump people off in the wrong place. They, and... they make
1: mistakes. They really do. But the point about this this particular case is as as they, the event was over and the the cars started up again and they're feeling extremely strange and there's that feeling of what just happened, but they can't remember what it was, the, uh, the man in this case... Uh, Turned to the woman and said, "You know, I I saw a very strange thing out the window." Now he's the driver out the the left side. He said it looked like a uh, a huge uh, uh, football stadium, all lit up. But he said it it was, didn't seem to be up a little bit. And, and he said, "Did you see that?" And she said, "Yes." She said, "You mean that thing that was right in front of the car?"
2: Huh.
1: Now, uh, and and uh, you know there are further things, of course, that went on, where each one was picking up. Uh, they had conscious memories of different moments in the whole sequence of the abduction that they had both experienced in apparently exactly the same way.
2: Once again, Bud Hopkins. Uh, so in other words, it is kind of like somebody throws a switch, huh, Bud? And uh, the people who are abducted, you uh, see I'm sitting here talking to somebody who's invisible. Because we lost at me, so I don't know where he went. Bud, you're not there, so let's redial Bud right now. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, he was indeed invisible. Okay, here we go. This should do it, maybe. We'll see what happened. Uh, Bud? Hello? Yeah, Bud, you you, yes. you, you. you went invisible on me.
1: I, I'm afraid I did. I, I think it might be the phone here, and uh, it's a wireless phone. So uh, let me give you a cell phone number in case this happens again.
2: Uh, well, no, no, you're on the air. Don't be giving that out, or you'll be sorry. Oh,
1: uh, you're right. Uh, no. So
2: we'll have to. We'll, we'll just hope this one hangs together. Let,
1: let's hope so. Mm. I, I tried to charge it up here. I think that might have been the problem. Any rate,
2: <laughs> uh, do you have another one you can pick up? Should that occur again?
1: I, I don't, unfortunately.
2: Oh my gosh we've all descended into this wireless world.
1: In this wireless world is a problem.
2: Uh, yes. Um, hmm. All right. Um, so anyway, as I was saying, it seems as though things and uh, people all enter this realm as if somebody throws a switch and, and, and like suddenly just shifting to a different vibrational rate or something.
1: Yeah, something like that. We don't know quite how it works, but, uh, just, just to 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 move to to the other aspect of the book that is the most uh, perhaps the strangest of all it has Wild to do nice. with the scene part, which is the fact that we have many many cases, and this is the the whole second half of the book has to deal with uh, people who seem to be uh, creatures beings, uh, part human and part alien, who seem to be operating in the real world, right along with. Uh, the UFO uh, aliens, the gray beings, in uh, facilitating abductions. In other words, they seem to be able to uh, eat meals, drive cars, uh, talk to people, and so forth, yet they can also, these uh, transgenic beings, seem to be able to uh, absolutely control another person's behavior, read their minds, uh, pass through walls, uh, do the things that... uh, uh, the aliens themselves are able to do. And uh, this is, of course, the ultimate um, uh, result of what I had written about in Intruders, where it it seemed to be the basic purpose that we discussed earlier of the uh, phenomenon really was to produce this kind of viable mix. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting uh, to me in terms of uh, the objection science has and and how they've had to back away when i wrote intruders and i talked about this attempt to create a uh, a mix of alien and human uh, characteristics um i was of course attacked roundly that's impossible we could never do such a thing and of course since 1987 when that book came out um uh, we have mapped the human genome which is unbelievable and uh, as, as an accomplishment And we are now in an area where, as you know, uh, they have been able to take a gene from a jellyfish and splice it into the genetic makeup of a rabbit. So they now have a rabbit that, under certain lighting conditions, glows in the dark. Um,
2: no, I have, didn't know we had done that. We have
1: done that. Now, we, and oh. of course, more famously than that, uh, a gene from a salmon has been inserted into the genetic makeup of a tomato plant, and we ha- now have tomatoes that are able to withstand cold. So we've crossed from the animal to the vegetable realms. If if I had written any of those things back in 1987, I would have been totally uh, laughed out of.
2: Geez, I thought you court. were going to tell me we now have a tomato that swims upstream. <laughs> no,
1: that, that we don't have. <laughs> Maybe we should work on that. <laughs>
2: I'm not at all totally comfortable with this whole direction
1: that well, science
2: is going. At. I, I
1: don't think anybody is, really, except the scientists who, uh, for whom this is just a... Uh, uh, catnip to the cat, but the uh, the point is that <clears throat> if if we are now doing these things, the alien ability to let's say uh, pick and choose and <clears throat> do the kind of engineering that uh, our scientists are able to do right here and now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what this means, of course, is that um, the uh, there's. Even of you know great deal more evidence suggesting that this is the basic goal of of uh, the, the whole abduction um, program such as it is. okay,
2: so we understand their modus operandi to some degree. Do we understand their objectives as well?
1: No that we don't. you see that's the point that's that's the big question, and that's something that we really don't know.
2: We don't know if it's to help them or to help us or to hurt. Us.
1: Well, we have no reason. You see, there, there hasn't been anything that looked uh, like it was deliberately malevolent, out to, out to harm, out to, to do damage to us. That just doesn't turn up. Uh, on the other hand, we don't have any real sign that anything is being done to help us. Mm, but yes, but until we
2: understand their objective, we're not going to understand if ultimately they're here from the government, like the government to help us, or uh, what?
1: Well, we we're, we're, we just don't, I mean, we have no idea what their, what their goals are. And, and I don't know where we're going to hear that. And I don't know, even if there was some sort of government, uh, uh, you know, uh, some <clears throat> uh, MJ-12 type group that has formed some kind of theory, it might be an incorrect theory. Um, so do, do you we you don't believe, really do, know. Do you uh, believe
2: there is such a group, uh, Bud? Uh, do you believe that within government or perhaps it's, uh, environments, its fringe. I don't know. There is some kind of a group that is or has made contact or is aware of the agenda. Well,
1: well certainly, certainly that they that they're aware of it. I mean, there's no doubt to me of the fact of a government cover-up. I mean, I just think that's been proved beyond any reasonable doubt at this point that there that there is some branch thereof that is extremely aware and is taking it extremely seriously and probably at this moment beaming into the art bell program to find out what, <laughs> what we might know. Uh, no, I don't think there's any doubt that, that there's a government cover-up. Now, whether or not there, there is contact uh, between government sources and the aliens, whether even if there were contact that, that it would be reliable, in other words, which side might be lying to the other, who, who knows what, uh, those are questions that I don't really know the answer to. But uh, the fact of the cover-up seems to be beyond doubt.
0: All right, with that, I'm going to let you guys go. I hope you enjoyed the talk. In fact, I know you did. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space, as always. And I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to ask that you guys please leave me a review wherever you listen to this podcast at. Just let me know what you think. Or if you'd like to even appear on the podcast or give me your feedback, there you can hit me up at at dufos@yahoo.com, or on my Facebook page, or abductionenigma.webador.com.
1: All right, deep kicking it.